Joshua chapter 4, and uh, Joshua 3 and 4 really kind of form uh, kind of one particular event, which is the crossing of the Jordan River. We looked at chapter 3 last week, and so we're not going to read that again, but I am going to read the, the entire fourth chapter, so you follow along as I read. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take you up every every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? And ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan. As the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the ark of the covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded, that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people, according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hasted and passed over. It came to pass when all the people were clean passed over that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel and as Moses spake unto them. About 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. It came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye these stones? And ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. And let's pray. 
Well, again, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, for this opportunity to study your word. And I pray that you would uh, give us insight, that you use your spirit to guide us and uh, allow us to understand the, the true and full meaning of the text. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter four is about the glory of God. That is clear. God makes that clear in those last few verses that, that we read. Uh, this is uh, a command to, to establish a monument or a memorial. And in verse number one, we see that the Lord spoke to Joshua. This was the Lord's idea. This was not Joshua's idea. The Lord is interested in bringing himself glory. Um, He's not arrogant or prideful or conceited. He can't be any of those things. Uh, In order to be any of those things, you have to think too highly of yourself. And it's not possible for the Lord or for us to think too highly of him. And so, you know, this is what he commands. He wants this to be done so that they will remember him. That They will remember his might and his power and what he has done for them. If it was Joshua's idea, of course, you know, then we we may question it. We may wonder if he was uh, looking to bring himself glory or recognition, but that isn't the case. And uh, one one thing we'll see as we move through this chapter in chapter four is, is something that actually occurs several times throughout the book of Joshua, and that is that the Lord commands the the children of Israel to pretty much come to a halt and stop and make time for him, to make time to worship him and to take time for observances and to uh, take time for reading his word and to uh, set up these memorials. Uh, We read there in the last few verses of chapter four that Joshua had gathered the people together once they had reached the other side of the Jordan River. He had gathered them together for a speech. They were to stop and to worship and, um, you know, whatever pressing matters they felt they had, those, those needed to, to wait. And again, we'll, we'll see that several times throughout the book of Joshua. I'm sure they had a lot on their mind. Um, you know, the, the upcoming war, the anticipation of knowing they were going to be fighting against the Canaanites and certainly wanting to rest after having uh, you know, taking all of their possessions and their children and their wives and, and the elderly and everything that, you know, that their whole existence across that river. But yet God commands them to take time to worship him. And, you know, I think it's a good reminder. I know it is to me that, um, you know, God expects me to put things on hold. He expects me to have things wait. Um if, if, if I waited in, until I thought a convenient time was available, then sometimes some things would never get done. And I'm sure we can all identify with that. You know, procrastination is, is somewhat of a pretty common trait amongst most of us. You know, we, we kind of have a tendency to want to put off until tomorrow other things that, that really shouldn't wait. I, certainly see that with our nation you know we're 17 trillion dollars in debt and everybody says now is not a convenient time to start paying down that debt and i think if they were honest they would certainly acknowledge there's never going to be a convenient time to pay that to pay that down and that's i think that some people would acknowledge you know they're going to put the lord off and there's never going to be a convenient time for them to stop and worship the lord and give him the attention that he demands so we have to be willing to set things aside and to worship him when he commands us to. In verse number two, 
These are the same 12 men that were mentioned in chapter 3, verse 12. And we're reminded numerous times, particularly in this chapter, that there was one tribe, one man from each tribe. We see that in chapter 4, verse 2. We see that in chapter 4, verse 4. And, and it was important that each tribe was, was represented. It, uh, I'm sure gave the people more of an identification and it made them feel as though the, each one was as, was as important as the next. Um, you know, we, we would probably feel slighted. There's always discussion about whether or not we need to, whether or not our, our Senate and our Congress is fair because we have, you know, two senators from every state. And I'm sure people would feel slighted if they didn't have a, uh, two senators. And yet, you know, there's a move to, to rearrange the Senate like the House so that we have representation that's more in line with the population of each state. But I, I'm sure that, you know, that obviously has met with a lot of resistance. But I'm sure these people were comforted in knowing that, you know, that each one was represented, that God makes a point to, to, to let us know that one man was chosen from each tribe. Each one is important to him. Verse number three, they were to take 12 stones out of the river where the priests stood firm. Uh, this is, this is, uh, they're drawing attention to the fact that the place is greatly significant. Uh, when this story is told, when, when the story of why this memorial has been set up and why it exists, when this story is told later on, that's to be a, a an integral part of the story. It's to be very important. The place where they took those stones was the center of that river. It was the deepest part. It was the most dangerous part. It was the channel. And it was to draw attention to the fact that the only way that they were able to retrieve those stones was because the Lord had dried that river up and made it completely able to be crossed on dry ground. And I, I you know, I think I've got a pond in my backyard and it's 20-some feet deep and I dropped a sandbag in there years ago and it slid down the, and it's still at the bottom and I'm never going to see that sandbag again. It's not that important to me. And I know people have dropped fishing rods in that pond and, and they're never going to see those fishing rods again. And, you know, again, that's, that's what God's wanting to draw attention to. He dried that river up so that every last bit of that, that ground was dry and that's part of the story. And so the place where these stones are taken from is very important. They couldn't just grab them from the edge of the river. It was to be a part of the story to show how powerful that God was. This is the first of seven memorials in the book of Joshua and all of them are, are uh, stones. Uh, in verse number five, in verse number four, we really see kind of the, the same idea that we saw in verse number two. In verse number five, we see that these stones were very large stones, uh, probably not as large as the 350 pound stones we see on ESPN's World's Strongest Man competition. But nevertheless, <laughs> they were large stones and they were going to be a part of that memorial. It was to be very visible. It was to be very noticeable. It was to be there for many, many generations. And. These men, I'm sure, were relieved to have already crossed the river. That It makes clear that they had already done that, and yet they are asked to return and retrieve these stones. And, and again, you know, if there's a, a visible wall of water there, I, I'm sure that was somewhat intimidating, and so they're probably relieved to have been to the other side and now are called to go right back into the, into the middle of it all. But nevertheless, they were obedient, and I think their, their obedience is noteworthy. 
In verses 6 and 7, and, and really in verses 21 through 24, in all of these verses, we see that this memorial was to invoke remembrance and discussion about God's greatness and His mighty hand. And, uh, you know, we, we do the same thing today. We When we go places, we sometimes we'll take souvenirs, we'll take pictures, and we do that for the purposes of being able to remind ourselves later of a lot of the detail associated with that particular event. We don't want to forget about things, and of course our memories fade, and so, you know, that's what we do. I was recalling, a, I read an article in a magazine recently how uh, someone, an older person who had grown up during the Great Depression, uh, when, when they were growing up during the Great Depression, they didn't have any extra money, but there was a family down the road that was even a lot worse off than they were, and so they had decided as a family that they were going to give that other family one of their pigs to help them out for, for food. And so this older person was recounting how that until this day, you know, 60, 70, 80 years later, every time they see a pig, that's what they think of. They think of when their family had taken that pig down the road and given it to that other family. It serves as a great memorial. Uh, you know, what is very common to us or, you know, particularly with regard to a pig, maybe somebody you know would think that's something they don't want to think about, but to that person it invokes very sentimental memories, very good memories of how the Lord enabled them to help another family. So again, what's common to us may, may be very significant to someone else. But God is constantly telling us and warning us not to forget about His goodness to us. Um, if, we're not going to turn back to it, but in Deuteronomy chapter 8, that's basically what the entire chapter is about. God is warning the people that when they get into the promised land, it is going to be so easy for them to forget about Him because they are going to be so prosperous. They are going to have all of these things that He has provided for them. And you know, there's half a dozen different times within that chapter where God says, don't forget about Me. Don't forget who has given you the power to get wealth. And that's, you know, unfortunately, that's about the worst thing that prosperity does. It usually causes a lot of people to forget about God. And so uh, sometimes we ought to be careful what we hope for, because it, it may have the, the, the opposite impact that we really would expect. And I know I'm guilty. You know, sometimes just a few weeks ago, I was praying about a particular matter, and I, it occurred to me a week or two later that the Lord had answered that prayer, and I had forgot to thank Him. And, you know, we, uh, you know, I'm sure that we all, you know, it's behind us. We, you know, but we, we don't want to do that. You know, that's what God is reminding them in Deuteronomy chapter 8. When they get to the promised land, they're supposed to be always aware that He is the one that is providing all of the things that they have. And He is the one that is sustaining them. And in these verses 6, 7, and then again 21, 22, 23, you know, there's some, uh, there, this memorial is to invoke discussion between parents and children. Uh, this is, this is very intentional. And, uh, I think this is a good opportunity for us to look at the role, look at some of the scriptures that pertain to the role of, of parents and children and the, the education of children, the spiritual education of children. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm grateful for uh, all of the opportunities that my children have to be taught spiritual lessons. Um, 
I know, you know, I'm thankful for Sunday school. I'm thankful for Patch Club and BBS and Children's Church and, you know, OBA and all of those things. But that doesn't relieve me of my responsibility as a parent to be responsible for their spiritual education. Ultimately, I am the one that is responsible for that. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, we are, we are told, and actually let's look at verse 1 first. It says, now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. And then verse number 7, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And, you know, the, the point there is very clear. We are to take every opportunity that we can to use it as an opportunity to teach our children. And it's to be something that is part of our everyday routine. And it is something that we are to do as parents. Uh, I don't find any strict prohibition in Scripture that we are, you know, not to... Uh, take advantage of the assistance of others in teaching ourselves. I don't see that being taught in Scripture at all. But nevertheless, ultimately, the responsibility is ours. We were, we're responsible for the success or failure of, of our children to learn about the Lord. Turn to Psalm chapter 78. Another Scripture emphasizing the, the importance of this uh, parent-child relationship. Psalm chapter 78. We'll just start in verse number 1. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which ye have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. In other words, as parents, we will teach them to our children, which are their grandchildren. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That's our responsibility as parents, as fathers, to make God's wonderful works known to our children. Verse number six, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Again, there's a, there's, that's clear. This is to be an endless cycle. It's very unfortunate when we see that cycle broken. But, my children are going to be responsible for teaching their children. I can assist them, but ultimately it's, it's their responsibility. My primary responsibility is my children, and so that cycle is to remain unbroken. Verse number 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So, again, we're to teach our children that their only hope is in the Lord. You know, their hope isn't in government. It's not in having a lot of money. It's not in all of the things that our world would teach them are the most important things, but their hope is to be in the Lord, and that's that's primary. That's our responsibility to teach them that. Verse number 8, And might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. This is encouraging. It's letting us know that just because one generation fails, it doesn't have to mean that the next generation fails. That, you know... The next generation can improve upon the failures of the previous generation. Turn back to Nehemiah chapter 8. Look at another uh, passage that that, uh, deals with 
the Lord's God's word being taught. Nehemiah chapter eight. Verse number one says, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And, and again, notice the first words of that verse, all the people. It was important for everyone to be gathered and to learn God's word. I was just talking to a friend of mine here not too long ago, and he was he was frustrated. He he was recounting how there was a family in his church that they they come and they drop their children off and and they leave, and uh, and they claim to be believers. And he said, in his opinion, he said they they just have no idea the damage that they're doing to those children. You know, they're sending them the clear message that church is just for kids. Once you become an adult, it doesn't mean it's not important anymore. I mean, they can say the opposite, but their actions are going to speak louder than their words. I I agree with them. I think that's going to be detrimental to those children. Verse number two. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Verse number three. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Here we see the same phrase in verse number two, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And all the ears of the people were attentive under the book of the law. So here we have uh, the men and the women, which takes care of all the adults. And yet we have and those that could understand. So clearly that's a reference to the children. And, you know, we shouldn't sell our children short. We shouldn't assume that they are not able to comprehend what's being taught at church. We shouldn't assume that. You know, pastor's going to use some words that are too big and they're going to be over their head. I mean, that's that's they shouldn't get a free pass. I get discouraged when I see kids walking into church and they've got cases of crayons and coloring books and things like that. Uh, that ought not to be. I mean, they 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 this says, you know, that they were attentive in verse number three. They were attentive and we shouldn't. Be so easy to just, you know, give them a free pass and say, well, you know, it's too hard for them. They're not going to be able to understand. Uh, if they've got questions later, we can we can answer those questions. There is a responsibility here that as parents, we should make sure that they're paying attention. You might want to double check on your kids and and uh, look and see where they're sitting. You know, maybe they're not doing what you think they're doing. Maybe they're not paying attention as well as you think they're paying attention. You know, we we get lax and we think that, you know, we give them the benefit of the doubt and think that they're going to handle everything okay, and they're probably not. We must, we got to be careful who teaches our children. Uh, Luke chapter 6, we don't need to turn there, but in Luke chapter 6, verse number 40, it says, The disciple is not above his master or his teacher, but everyone that is completely trained shall be as his master or teacher. So, you know, depending on who's teaching them, that's likelihood that they're going to grow up and think those same things. The Bible says in Psalm 1-1 that we should not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So again, it's important who we allow to teach our children. Turn back to Joshua chapter 6. or I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Then ye shall answer them. Uh, you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off from before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. 
And again, so that's why it was important that, that the story that was told later on and told to the children explain exactly where those stones were taken from. They were taken from the, the center of that river that showed God's mighty hand in, in cutting off that water. Um, so again, in all of this, with, with these instructions that we have as, as parents to teach our children and to be ready and able to answer the questions that our children have, uh, you know, again, I, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm very grateful for all of the, the opportunities that my children have to learn from people besides myself. And, uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't negate my responsibility. That doesn't give me a free, that doesn't allow me to neglect that responsibility. You know, the, the things, the, the things that they're being taught are to be a reinforcement of the things that I'm teaching them. Uh, they're not, it's not to be a complete replacement. You know, if, if the only time your children are ever hearing about the Lord is from someone else, that's not good. They're going to realize, you know, it's understandable. They may come to the conclusion that it's really not that important to you. If the only time they're hearing it is from someone else. They really need to hear that from us. We need to share our understanding of the Lord and our experiences with them. And look for opportunities to do that. You know, when the Lord answers a prayer... Share that with your children, if, you know, if it's appropriate. Sometimes it is appropriate. And let them know how the Lord is working in your life. Uh, turn back to Exodus chapter 12. I, there's, this is similar in, a, in this crossing of the Jordan River and establishing of this memorial is similar to the, the memorial of the Passover that was instituted in Exodus chapters 12 and 13. Uh, there the Lord course, led the, the children of Israel across the Red Sea, and that was after the death of the firstborn, which was, which was the, one of the, the judgments on, on Egypt. And so Exodus chapter 12, and this also gives us some insight into the, the relationship that the Lord expects of us as parents, the relationship that we are to have with our children. Notice in Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 23. It says, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door, and will not suffer the destroyer to come in, to, to come in under your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? Now again, we're, it's expected that children are going to ask questions. They're inquisitive. They should be. They shouldn't be discouraged from asking questions. Verse 27, that ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. So they, they, they were to use it when they would observe the Passover. They were to use it as an opportunity to explain how wonderful and mighty God was and that he had delivered them. And we should share our testimony with our children. We should tell the, our children how that the Lord saved us and what he's done for us. The memorial of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament is really very similar to the Passover. First Corinthians 5.7 says Christ is our Passover. And, you know, we are to, God commands us to observe the Lord's table so that we'll remember what the Lord has done for us. We'll remember the tremendous price that he has paid for us. And 
again, as we've seen throughout the book of Joshua, or as we will see it throughout the book of Joshua, you know, again, there are several occasions where the Lord just tells them to basically come to a stop and halt everything and take time to worship Him. And these memorials are very important. It's very important that we take the time to reflect on what He's done for us. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have the memorial of the Lord's Supper on Wednesday night. And, you know, it's going to be, I'm sure it's going to be, a lot of people are going to say, you know, I've got company coming in and I've got a meal to prepare for the next day and I've got a lot to do, but I think the Lord would be pleased if everybody was here to observe the Lord's Supper. I think He just expects us to set aside that time and to, and to clear our schedules and to, to see these things as very important. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 again. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the last passage we're going to look at with, with regard to the relationship of the, the interaction between parents and children regarding the things of the Lord. Starting in verse number 20. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20, it says, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments, the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? So in other words, it's, it's good for our children to ask, what, what, Why do we do all these things? Why do we do the things we do? What's the point? What does it all mean? Verse number 21, And thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon, and upon all his household before our eyes. We should give the, the Lord all the glory and the praise that he's, that he's wanting. We should let our children know how wonderful he is. Verse 23, And he brought us up out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. For our good always that he might prepare it, preserve us alive as it is unto this day. Now there in verse 24, there's, there's a good answer for your children is, is to they ask why we do the things we do. For our own good. That's what it says there in verse 24. For our good always. God has these things in mind for our benefit, not to make us miserable. The commandments of the Lord are not grievous. He expects us to do these things. But we should explain to our children, God has our best interests at heart. He's not wanting us to be you know, unhappier than everyone else. Just on the contrary, he wants us to be happier than everybody else. He wants us to, to love being one of his children and see the great benefits that he's done for us and see how good he is to us. And what we need to be able to, to give those answers to our children. And then verse 25, And it shall be for our righteousness, and if we observe to do all these commandments before our Lord our God as he has commanded us, we let our children know that there are blessings associated with being faithful to the Lord and, and observing the ordinances and the commandments and the memorials that he's asked us to. So, again, it's very important as parents that we are able to give our children those answers. Before we go on to Joshua chapter 4, verse 9, does anybody have anything they, they want to contribute at this point? Joshua chapter 4, or actually verse number 8. Joshua 4, 8, And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded. The orders were carried out. They were obedient. Verse 9, And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the ark of the covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. So Joshua doubles the memorial. In addition to the memorial that's going to be set up on, on shore, 
uh, across the other side of the Jordan River. Joshua also has stones piled up in the middle of the river so that when the waters would return, those stones probably would have been visible. They would have probably been piled high enough so that even when the water was at its highest level, which was at this time of year, that they still would have been visible. And again, boats coming down the the, the river, they, they would have been able to recount the same thing. You know, there would have been the story that was told of why, why is this pile of stones sitting here in the river to wreck my propeller? You know, not that they had propellers back then, but you know, you know, the, the point, you know, there's still an obstacle and could cause damage to one of their boats. But nevertheless, that's what, that's what was done. They set up this second memorial in the, in the river. Verse number 10. For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. And again, I think that's significant until everything was finished. They ensure that all of God's instructions are carried out. Uh, You know, King Saul didn't do that. He altered God's instructions. He decided to take a shortcut. He decided that he knew a better way and decided that he wasn't going to carry out God's instructions to the letter. Uh, it's very important that we learn to follow instructions. About 10 years ago, when I was at my previous employer, we had a guy there, a very talented guy, but he just thought he was above the rules. And like a lot of companies, you know, they said you could wear jeans on Friday. Well, he just showed up on Wednesday wearing jeans. We say, what's the big deal? It's a rule. So they gave him a warning, and he did it again a couple of months later, and they fired him. I mean, he just thought he was above the rules. We, we, we shouldn't think that way. I mean, God gives us instructions. He gives us commandments. He gives us orders. We should carry them out. I mean, it's, it's really very simple. We may not like them, but God didn't say, obey the ones you like. He just said, obey my commandments. In this verse, we also see that it says, uh, Joshua also did according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. I don't, I don't find, we don't find any reference where Moses specifically made mention of this memorial that was erected. I think what this is a reference to is just in general that Moses had given Joshua the instructions back in Deuteronomy chapter 32 that he was to take the children of Israel across the Jordan River. I think that's what that's a reference to. And then it says the people made haste and passed over. And, a lot of, lot of speculation on why they made haste. I mean, the, the most obvious, probably the best answer is that they, they were scared of the water. <laughs> you know, they probably could see the way the Bible describes the water as being all heaped up. But uh, some other reasons that are given was to they were considerate. They were, to, they were sparing the priests from having to stand any longer than necessary. They had to stand there, uh, most believe, a, a very long time. Uh, in, you know, in the midst of looking at that, staring that water, you know, having that water right there by them. And so that might have been one of the reasons. Also, they probably didn't want to tempt God by lingering. You know, we shouldn't tempt God. I mean, by lingering, we should follow his instructions, see that they're carried out. Maybe they wanted to rest. That's understandable. When I go to Montana and I go backpacking, that's the reason I want to get to where I'm going. Because I want to rest. I'm tired of walking on the trail and carrying a backpack. I want to get to where I'm going and set up the tent. So, yeah, there were probably a lot of different reasons. But mostly, they, they made haste probably because they feared the water. They wanted to get to the other side. Verse number 11. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people. And, uh, you know, 
be probably a little, probably easy to overlook the significance of that, but notice the last phrase there in the verse, in the presence of the people. This was very done, very intentional. All of the people are safely across, and now they can turn around and actually watch what is happening, and they see the priests then moving that. The same way that when they started the journey across the Jordan River, they watched the priests go down into the river. Now they're stopped and they're watching the priests come up out of the river again. I'm sure this is very intentional by the Lord. It's to remind them again of how all this was possible. That Ark of the Covenant represents the Lord. And He doesn't want them to lose sight of the fact that it was He who stopped those waters. And He wants them to take notice that as soon as those priests leave that river, the waters are going to be right back to where they were when this whole thing started. And so it's all very intentional to make sure that they they understand that this is all the Lord's doing. This is all the Lord's power and His might. Verse number 12 and the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over arm before the children of Israel as Moses spake unto them. Now again, we, we went over this several weeks ago back in, Deuteron- or back in uh, Numbers chapter 32. When they had made this request to Moses, of course, you know, there was a promise that they were going to continue to send their men across the, the, the Jordan River, even though they were being given land on the east side of the Jordan River. And, and they intended to keep that promise. And every evidence that we have in Scripture all throughout the book of Joshua is that they did that to the fullest. They never reneged. They kept their promise. And again, the, the word before there. Uh, they said they had promised Moses back in, in Numbers 32 when, they, when he had granted their request for land on the east side. They said, we'll lead the way. And that's what they're doing. They're going before. And granted, they probably would have been uh, the least tired, they would have been the, they would have been fresh. They didn't have, they weren't encumbered with bringing their families and their cattle and all of their belongings across because they were going to return someday. Their families were left on on the other side of that river, but they keep their word. Notice in verse 13, it says about 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle. I think, you know, Glenn had made the point a couple of weeks ago. For all of the men to have gone across would have probably left them in quite a predicament. Their their families would have been in quite a bit of danger. You know, they could have, you know, with just the women and children left behind, they would have been very, would have been quite a risk for them to be taken over by someone. But if uh, in Numbers, back in Numbers chapter 26, the census makes clear that there were well over a hundred thousand men that were able to go to war just from these two and a half tribes. So the fact that we see that 40,000 are going across leaves over 60,000 men behind uh, to offer protection and to, you know, plow the fields and produce the crops and all that kind of stuff. And but we know that these were the these were the best. Um, We're told earlier in the book of Joshua that these were the 40,000 mighty men of valor. So, you know, they didn't they didn't shortchange the the promise that they had made in any way. They picked the best ones that they had to go forward and to to lead in this way and to keep their keep their agreement. Verse number 14. It says, on that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. Now, if you turn back to chapter three, verse seven, we see this is a fulfillment of God's God's promise. God said that he was going to magnify Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And he's done that. He's establishing Joshua 
uh, equally as as much their leader as Moses ever was. And and you know again, this has been a relatively short amount of time so far that Joshua has been at the helm, but Moses had been their leader for forty years. So it's very important that they understand. Yes, this is God's man. You know, he's the one that we are to respond to, and he's the one that we are to greatly respect. And and the Bible records that they do that, that they recognize him. You know, notice there in verse 14, it says they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. So God kept his word. He he magnified Joshua in the sight of the people. Verse 15, and the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, command the priests that they bear the ark of the testimony. And they came up out of Jordan. So, again, here we see the established hierarchy continuing to function. The priests don't do anything until Joshua gives them the command. And Joshua doesn't give them the command until the Lord gives Joshua the command. So they're all waiting on that that pattern of leadership. And submission to leadership is very important. Again, just you know, using the secular example that I stated earlier, I mean that just they want to know, you know, that that you recognize who's in charge. If you know, if you can't if you can't submit yourself, then you're gonna have difficulty. Verse number eighteen. It came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were came up out of the midst of Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed all over his banks as they did before. And again, this just demonstrates that there's, there's no doubt that this was a miracle, that this was the hand of the Lord. This was no natural occurrence, you know, just, you know, the changing of the current or, you know, anything like that. This was clearly the Lord's working. And then verses 19 through 24, it says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. Now, that, that's significant. We're told that it's the tenth day of the first month because this is the day that they are to select the Passover, the Passover lamb. And we're going to see next week when we get into chapter 5 that that's, you know, they observed the Passover. They, they are obedient to the Lord's command that he had given them 40 years ago when they had left the, Egypt after the, the parting of the Red Sea, that they to, they were to observe the Passover. So again, they, they stop and take the time to do that. And this takes several days because, again, on the tenth day was the day that they were to select the Passover lamb, but they weren't to eat it until the fourteenth day. And again, we'll see that again as we as we get further on into chapter 5 next week. It says, And they took the, the twelve stones which they took out of Jordan, did Joshua pitch in Gilgal, verse 20. And so he's carrying out the commands of the Lord to erect this monument. And then again, kind of what we looked at earlier with regard to verses 6 and 7. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. And so this was to be something that uh, was to an opportunity for parents to have this discussion with their children, a meaningful discussion. Verse 23, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. Um, they are to, you notice what Joshua says there in verse 23. They, the parents are to tell their children what God did. Not what Joshua did or not what the people did or not what the priests did or not what the twelve men who carried the stones did. They were to tell their children what the Lord did. It was the Lord that dried up the Jordan River. It was the Lord that dried up the Red Sea. And that's very important. We want to make clear with our children. We don't want to take the glory and the credit for 
anything that any blessing that the Lord has bestowed upon us. We want to deflect that and give that glory to the Lord. And in verse 24, God makes it perfectly clear of the whole point of this entire event. You know, we have this entire chapter here. God had told them to stop and erect this memorial, and this is all done for His glory. Notice in verse 24 that all the people of the earth, and this wasn't just for the Israelites. This wasn't just for the Canaanites that were on the other side. It wasn't just for the enemy. This was for the entire earth. This, this is for us today. This is an example of for us to know how powerful the Lord is. So this was for all the people to know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that they would fear the Lord their God. And of course, you know, we, we live in a society today where God isn't given his recognition. Most people have, they have no intentions of acknowledging that the Lord is mighty, that his hand is responsible for the things that take place on our earth. They want to attribute those to some natural disaster or global warming or climate change or whatever they want to call it. They refuse to acknowledge that God is that God has a mighty hand. But yet God says, I did this so that would people would understand just how mighty I am and that they would fear me. And I know with my children. Of course I want my children to obey me. Of course I want them to to please, you know, I want them to want to please me. But that's secondary. I want them to want to please the Lord more than they want to please me. The reason there is the end of the verse. It says that they may fear the Lord your God forever. If we teach our children just to fear us and just to want to please us, well, then what are they going to do when we're gone? They're going to then it's going to fall apart. So we want to teach them that it's the Lord that they want to please. It's the Lord that they fear because, you know, However long we're here, or however how soon we're removed, the Lord is always going to be a presence in their life. So we want to teach them that it's it's the Lord that they want to fear, and it's the Lord that they want to submit to. It's the Lord that it is ultimately the most important. He's the one that they should strive to please. All right, we're uh, just about out of time. Anybody have any comments? I pretty much used up all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I totally, I, I, that's, yep, actions speak louder than words, I think, most of the time. <laughs>